Lord. Man, just a great crowd here on this July Sunday morning. So glad you'd be here. Before you're seated, turn to somebody and tell them you love them. In Jesus' mighty name. Bless the Lord. Well, listen, uh, many of you know that throughout the summer, uh, we are going to be in a series that we have simply entitled Shore Points, Lessons from the Beach. And each week, one of the pastors will be standing up here and they will be expounding upon a story from the Bible that occurred on the shore or on the beach on a boat, in the water, out of the water, somehow that revolves around the beach scene, and uh, just to discover what the Lord would say to us, because we know that some of the most wonderful stories in Scripture, some of the most powerful teachings in Scripture actually come from the water, from the beach, from boats. I mean, it's just amazing some of the wonderful stories that are there. And so again, every week, one of the pastors is going to come up and is going to be speaking on that. And uh, that is the, the normal course of the summer. But as we have often said here at Bethel, uh, we always want to leave room for the leadership of the Holy Spirit and to allow Him to lead us any way that He decides and He directs. I believe that to be responsible, we need to plan, we need to prepare, we need to always be ready when we come up here, but that is always with this caveat that this is his church, and if he wants to interrupt what we feel like he has planned previously, he is free to do that. And uh, that's what we're going to do today. The events of of the uh, past week here have just really... Uh, weighed heavy on my heart, and I, I just feel like the Lord felt, I felt like the Lord was leading me in a different direction uh, for today. I was uh, thinking about this, uh, this weekend here, that maybe one of the greater challenges of being a senior pastor in a church is knowing when to speak to issues that are happening nationally, internationally, and even locally, and when not to. Because I don't believe that I have to jump every time something happens in this world. I, I don't believe that my message should always revolve around what is happening in the world at any time. Uh, I, I believe that sometimes we just need to move on with the agenda of heaven and speak the truth in spite of what is going on around us. And we don't need to address. We don't need to jump into the fray every time something happens. And so I think that there are times when you have to really discern, do I need to address what is happening? Do I need to speak into what is taking place? And do I not need to speak into it? And then even when you come to the conclusion that you do need to say something, then the question becomes, well, what needs to be said and what doesn't need to be said? And so you have to weigh through that. And even timing can become a factor. Because there have been seasons when I knew I had to say something, and I knew what the Lord had given me to say, but the Lord checked my heart and said, now was not the time. You need to wait. You need to let things calm down a little bit. And you need to just let things settle, and then you can speak those words. So... I have found that it takes a great deal of discernment and it's a real challenge in these highly volatile and emotional moments to really know if you're to say something and if you are to say something, what to say, what not to say, and what is the timing in when you would actually say these things. And that, I feel, is kind of the challenge that is before me this morning. Three o'clock in the morning... Friday, uh, I received a text alert on my phone uh, from Fox News, as probably many of you do, maybe not with Fox, but other uh, news apps that you have on your phone. But at 3 o'clock, I got uh, awakened by this notification. I looked down, and, and it was just a, a very brief notica- notification about the events unfolding in 
uh, Dallas at that particular time. And it was only then that I noticed that I had actually gotten a series of notifications through the evening of all that was taking place in Dallas. But for whatever reason, I slept through those ones. It was only the three o'clock one that got my attention. And I got to be honest with you, at three o'clock in the morning, it just didn't register I'm so used to waking up to these notifications about shootings that the the real gravity of the moment did not really grip me. And I just didn't think about it and I rolled over and went back to sleep. And it wasn't until about two hours later that I got up and I went down into the basement and turned on the news and then began to realize just how serious these events were and what had really taken place. And at that point, there were still a lot of, uh, of questions and uh, things really were still very vague at that time. They thought there were three shooters. I mean, it was just still very early into the events. And I was sitting there watching it. Kathy came down after a few minutes and she said, you heard. And I said, absolutely. And So she sat down there with me and we were watching some of the news reports that were coming in at that moment. And at some point, Kathy began to ask me a couple of questions and I didn't really feel like I had all of the answers she was looking for, but I I did my best to fill her in with what I had already heard up to that point. And in mid-sentence, I just broke down and I just wept. I, I could not stop for a few minutes just crying. And I hate to admit this, But it's been a long time since I have wept openly over some of the events that have been happening in this country in particular. In fact, the last time that I can really remember weeping of of an event like this was back in Sandy Hook Elementary School. Remember that shooting in Connecticut when all those precious little children were gunned down? And that just crushed my heart. And I, I don't mean that I, I'm, I'm jaded, I'm not saying that I'm cold-hearted, but there's just a numbness. There, there is just this, uh, this I, I feel insulated now because it happens so frequently. It's happening with such, you know, frequency, but it's, it's even getting more intense than it's ever gotten before. And you just kind of feel shocked so that you can't even even have emotions anymore. You're, you're so overwhelmed by what is happening in our world today. But Friday morning, I just sat there and I wept. And I wept for the families of these slain police officers. I wept for the families of these men who were gunned down in Minnesota and Louisiana. And, you know... I know that it can be a very touchy issue and, and sometimes I struggle in, in knowing exactly what to say, knowing that we live in a, or we have a very diverse church and, and I, I, I'm doing my best to keep a godly perspective, perspective of this and to say the right thing. And I know that there are a lot of people who say, well, yeah, but there's a lot of questions that have yet to be answered, and there's a lot of investigation, and that may be true. But we're going to leave that out right now. There is no way you could watch those videos and not be moved. I mean, just let's be honest. You just couldn't. And I sat there. I mean, who could, if you watched those videos in their entirety, you know, who would not be moved by the sounds of that three-year-old girl in the back seat trying to console her mom. Mommy, I'm here with you. It's going to be okay. Or that 15-year-old boy on the stage when he just broke down at the loss of his dad and just wept. You'd have to be cold-hearted not to have been moved by those things. And I just, I just wept. I wept for their families. I wept again for the families of these police officers But mostly, I wept for our country. I wept for the United States that I once knew. But no, no more. I don't know if anybody else feels like I do today. But this is not the country I was born in. It is not the country I was raised in. I don't know this country anymore. For a moment, early there Friday morning, 
I was watching, I don't know how many of you ever seen him, but Joe Scarborough on MSNBC. And I turned him on long enough to hear this quote. He said, to think this is happening on the streets of the United States of America is beyond comprehension. Now the, real, the reality is some of you live through the 60s. Some of you don't remember living through the 60s, but you lived through the 60s. And I mean, I was born in 67, so I have no recollection of those times. All I know is what I see in news and archived. But through the 60s, you went through the, the great tensions that were taking place in this country. And you saw violence. Maybe it's even arguable, even worse than what, what we're seeing right now. But for those of you that are kind of in my age group and, and younger than me, we've never seen anything like this before. And to think that this is happening is just beyond belief. I wept. And as I was weeping there early Friday morning, I considered the words that Jesus said to the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 1, where he said, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, I want you to know for sure, I do not believe that this scripture is prophesying about the United States of America. And it should always be understood within the context of the church. We get that. This is not an end time prophecy about the United States of America. But the words still apply to our country. Because there was a time when this nation, the United States of America, our name was synonymous with honor. That there was a time in this world, the global community, that when you heard the name, the United States of America, it was synonymous with honor, with integrity, with civility, with righteousness, with prosperity, with opportunity. But our most recent works have revealed that although we may still have a name that once meant life, we are dying to what we once were as a nation. I love the United States of America. I love this country. And I I wouldn't want to live in any other country I love the United States of America and that's why it breaks my heart when I watch before my very eyes this nation becoming a shell of its former self. It grieves my heart to know that we are not what we used to be as a country. And as I said to you back at, I believe it was the beginning of our series on the Holy Spirit that we just finished, Once the politicians and the media, the pundits and the community leaders got involved to try and make sense of all that happened here in Dallas, once again, they proved to us that we cannot see the forest for the trees. And for those of you that maybe do not know what that cliche means, it just means that we get so caught up in the details of the issue that we don't see the bigger picture. That we get so wrapped up in every little incident that we're missing what is really taking place. And that's what happens. As soon as we move beyond just simply reporting the facts and we start commenting and we add opinions and we start putting our slant on it, that's when everything goes haywire. And all of a sudden... It was, you could predict it. You just knew what was going to happen. This was a matter of race. It was a matter of guns, of gun control, of hate, of bigotry, of profiling. And that's all you hear. And no one, and please hear what I'm saying, because no one is saying that these things are not happening, that they're not existing. You would have to be a fool to ignore that, that these things are happening. Yes. Racism is alive and well in the United States of America. Thank you for that weak amen. (laughs) Now, it may not be here, 
right now, but racism is alive and well in the United States of America. And bigotry is alive and well, and hatred is alive and well, and there's problems with our right to bear arms. I believe in the right to bear arms. I don't, but I believe in that right, and I believe we should hold on to that right. But there's a problem, obviously. And yes, as much as it pains me to say it, there is corruption within law enforcement. Now, I don't believe that there is a widespread conspiracy, but there are bad cops. Don't shoot me. I'm just being honest, okay? They're bad cops. We got good cops that are here. And thank God for our good cops. Amen? Yes. We love law enforcement. We'll do whatever we can to stand with them. But there is corruption within law enforcement. We just know it. No one's denying the existence of these things. No one. But as Christians, we need to remember and keep all of these things that are happening straight in our minds. We need to make sure that we understand that the things that are happening are are happening, but we need to treat them for what they are. They are symptoms. They are symptoms. Yes, they exist, but they are symptoms. They've always been symptoms. They are symptoms, and they will always be symptoms. They are symptoms of a greater cause. There is a root that is in this country and that is in the citizens of this country that literally are fueling all of these symptoms. And we as Christians especially, like I don't expect the unbelieving world to know this, but as Christians we've got, as we walk through these things, to remember these are symptoms, not the cause. They are symptoms of a greater cause. And that's why this country is faltering. Because we hire and we elect men and women to treat symptoms and then we wonder why things keep getting worse and out of hand. We're pumping billions and billions of dollars to treat symptoms in this country, but no one has the courage to stand up and tell what is really the problem with this country and with men and women living in it. Think about it. If a doctor treated symptoms continually instead of treating the cause of the symptoms, eventually the sickness would reach such a feverish pitch that not only would would treating the symptoms be possible, but you would actually reach a point of no return when the body would eventually die. We don't pay doctors to treat symptoms. We pay doctors to look at the symptoms and by the symptoms determine what the cause is and to treat the cause. Now listen, (laughs) that's what's going on in this country. If, If you go to a doctor with symptoms and he runs a series of tests, the results of that test may be inconvenient for you. And they may cause you sadness. And they may cause you profound sorrow within your heart. They may cause you to tremble in fear for a little bit. But at the end of the day, I want to know what the cause of my symptoms are and have him treat that. Put me on the operating table. Give me medicines, whatever it is. I don't want you just treating my symptoms, though I do need some temporary relief from them. I want you to get rid of the cause. Then the symptoms will go away. I don't want you to put a Band-Aid on my arm because I'm hemorrhaging internally. I don't want you to give me a baby aspirin because I got a pain that has been caused by a tumor that is in my body. I want you to get to the root and get rid of that. Then all... All of the symptoms will go away. And in the United States of America, that is what we are doing today. We keep treating symptoms. We keep looking at the individual issues that are going on and we are ignoring the real cause. And I'm going to stand here today and tell you that it is not race, it is not hatred, it is not bigotry, it is not corruption. It is the fact that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately, hopelessly, and incurably wicked. 
That's what's wrong right now. That's the cause. Yes, there is racism, but it's fueled out of the selfish hearts of men that are wicked and evil and bent against God. Yes, there's corruption. There always has been. But not because it just exists on its own. It's because the heart of man is desperately and incurably wicked. The whole problem is man is a sinner against God. His heart is bent on living for himself, living for his own desires, not even considering God, not considering his fellow man. And until that changes, nothing that we do will change the United States of America. The church grew in those first 30 years because they addressed that issue. Have you ever stopped and and thought about that? The book of Acts shows us the first 30 years of church ministry. 30 years. Now that's not a long time. 30 years. So the book of Acts starts out with 120 believers in an upper room. 30 years later, the gospel had permeated the entire Roman Empire. 30 years later. Some of us have been in churches for 30 years that have made no dent in the society that they live in, but yet the early church in 30 years went from 120 to vast hundreds of thousands of believers all over the Roman Empire in an age when they were hostile towards the gospel And why? Because the church was political? Because the church jumped on every political agenda that was out there? No. But because they preached Christ and Him crucified. They went after the heart because they knew the way to change the society was changing one heart at a time, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of Almighty God. In Jesus' name. Some of us don't like that. But Jesus Himself said, That everything we do, everything we say, every thought we have emerges from the heart. He says, that's where murder comes from. That's where adultery comes from. That's where hatred comes from. It comes from the heart. So you tell me, how do you actually change behavior without changing the heart of man? How dare we be so arrogant as to think that politicians could actually set legislation that would change racism in this country. Every attempt they have only adds to the racism that we have. The only way to end racism once and for all, the only way to stop violence is to get into the heart of man and tell him, you are a sinner separated from Almighty God and you must repent of it and then let God change their heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, then it all changes in Jesus' name. The moral pain of this nation cannot be treated civically, politically, legislatively, economically. It can only be changed spiritually. So let me show you something that the Lord laid on my heart Friday evening. If you have your Bibles... You can turn with me to Acts chapter 17. If, if you want to just follow along on the screen, you can. But I am going to start in Acts 17. I had, I had a really busy week. Uh, many of you know that um, we just got back from vacation. I had a wedding. And then this week I had two funerals. And it was just a very busy week. And I'm not saying that so you'll feel sorry for me. I think it was... Just how God orchestrated everything because I literally could not sit down to start putting my thoughts together for today until Friday evening. And uh, Kathy and Amanda went to a, a party that we had been invited to and I just said, I can't go. And I, I sat downstairs, I typically don't do this, but I sat downstairs and I had the news on because I still was interested in the the, the newest reports coming in from Dallas, but... I had my Bible open, and the thought occurred to me, you know, this is probably not, um, this is probably the way, I should say it this way, this is probably the way that we should be watching the news, with our Bibles wide open, okay? Listen, 
it's all right to listen to what is going on, to hear the reports. But when the commentators come on, it's probably a good idea to shut them off and just see what the Bible has to say about what's going on. Because that is one of the reasons that we keep getting divided. It's because we'll listen to opinions and we'll listen to agendas and we'll buy into them. Many of us, even as believers, have a secular worldview. Because we listen to our favorite commentators, we listen to our favorite pundits, and we listen and buy into their agenda rather than saying, what saith the Lord in this? Open up the Word of God. Don't buy into the political machine. Don't listen to just Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives. Listen to the voice of God in this hour. Because we represent His kingdom. And what He would do in this hour in Jesus' name. And so as I sat there and I listened to these reports, I I, I just looked to the Word of the Lord. And this is what He laid on my heart. Acts 17 and verse 16. He says, now while Paul was awaiting them, and them being his travel companions, at Athens, his spirit was grieved and roused to anger as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now understand here, Paul is not necessarily looking to minister in Athens. He's awaiting his travel companions to move on. But as he's waiting there in Athens, he cannot help but see that the whole city had been given over to idolatry. And the Bible says that as he sees this, that his spirit is grieved and roused to anger. All of a sudden, there is just a sorrow in his heart as he sees the devastating effects of sin upon this city, and he begins to get angry. Just a righteous anger. I can't take it anymore. And the thought that occurred to me as I read that the other day is that every great awakening, every great move of God has always started when Christians began to grieve over the spiritual condition of their land and became angry with sin and its devastating consequences. And as we said in that series on the Holy Spirit, the the healing of this nation is going to begin in the house of God. It's going to begin when Christians have seen enough, have heard enough, and they actually grieve over the devastating effects that sin has had upon this world, and they get angry and say, I can't take it anymore, I can't be silent, I must speak up in Jesus' name. It's always been that way. It happened with Nehemiah. Many of you know the story of Nehemiah. I'm not going to go into it. Nehemiah was a Jew, and he was deported when uh, Judah and Israel was swallowed up in the Babylonian captivity. But God elevated Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a high-ranking official even in the Babylonian uh, or the Assyrian Empire. And, And so one day he is just out and he's about and he comes across a contingency that had just been there in Jerusalem. And he said very curiously, hey, how is it going in Jerusalem? And they said to him, well, the people that are there are in great distress because the walls of protection have been broken down and been burned with fire. Listen to what happened as soon as he heard it. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And all of a sudden, he just becomes grieved when he thinks about the past beauty of Jerusalem and how it is laying in waste now and how it has no way to defend itself. And he grieves and he weeps and he fasts. But what is so awesome, we're not going to go into this, but out of this season of grief and sorrow and pain comes a vision to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild those walls in record time. Folks, this is why we need to pray like we have never prayed before. Before. This is why we need to fast like we have never fasted before because it is out of those seasons of grief and prayer and fasting that God will actually give us a plan to rebuild this nation again for the glory and the honor of His great and holy name. Now listen what happens. He just can't take anymore. So he reasoned, it goes on to say, 
And he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and those who worship there and in the marketplace where assemblies are held day after day with any who chanced to be there. I love this. Now he's just there waiting for his traveling companions, but he can't take any more. So he says, I got to do something. I, I don't care how small it is, I got to do something. So the first thing he does is he goes into the synagogues and he tries to convince the Jews that are there that Jesus is the Messiah by reasoning with them, by arguing with them in the Old Testament scriptures to prove that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. And then he went into the, the marketplace and he began to engage the people of this world. I love that flow. I really do. Our first responsibility is to speak to the church and get them to wake up from their sleep and from their slumber. I'm going to tell you, all of this has happened on our watch. While the world has been going to hell in a handbasket, churches and Christians have just laughed and entertained themselves and said, oh, isn't it terrible? But we've never really engaged. It's time for the church to wake up I thought to myself on Friday, what is it going to take for Christians to finally begin to weep over our country, to finally weep over our families, over our neighbors, and get angry with what sin is doing to them and our sons and our daughters? When are we going to finally wake up and say, we need God? I'm going to tell you folks, I've been in this a long time. And I believe that the hardest audience to reach are the professing Christians. It's easier to get through to someone who knows they don't know God than it is to get through to someone who has convinced themselves they know God, but they don't. It's getting them to admit that they're not saved when they think they are saved. That they're not filled with the Holy Spirit when they feel that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. That they are in trouble. That they need to change. That they are not ready for what is coming. Because I'm going to tell you folks, as bad as it is right now, if there is not a sudden change coming quickly, it is only going to get much more worse. And many of us are not ready for that. What will it finally take for us to wake up and say, God, I need a fresh outpouring of your spirit in my life to prepare me for the day that I live in, in Jesus' name. And then we go out and minister to the people in this world. And let me just say that. Folks, listen, you're going to be asked many questions at the workplace. You're going to be asked many questions in your family from people that do not know the Lord and they're going to want you to get political and they're going to want you to get racial and they're going to want to drag you into things that don't matter. God give us flint in our backbones where we stand up and say it's not about racism. It's not about Democrats and Republicans. It is about sin in the heart of man and until sin is exercised from the heart of man then nothing will change in this country. God give us the ability to say there is still only one name by which man may be saved and that is the name that is above all names the name of Jesus Christ and let us do it without compromise in Jesus name we do it respectfully we do it with love we do it with grace but we do it this world champions their cause with no fear why is it that we as Christians always feel like we got to duck and dodge instead of just standing and saying, Thus saith the Lord. So, listen to what happens here. It says that Paul, standing in the center of the Arapagus, Mars Hill meeting place, he said, and I love this, Men of Athens... I perceive in every way, on every hand, and with every turn I make that you are most religious or very reverent to demons. Wow. I'll tell you, that'll preach in the United States of America. Because we got a lot of religious people, but behind religion is demons. Just because you say that you're praying to Jesus doesn't mean you are. <laughs> <laughs> I 
For I passed along and carefully observed your objects of worship. And I came also upon an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now, many of you know the rationale behind this. They had many, 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 many gods. But they were always concerned that they might, there might be one God that they didn't know. And they wanted to make sure that he got worship too. So they had an altar to the unknown God. Okay. Now, what you are already worshiping is unknown. This I set forth to you. I love it. I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. In all of your worship, you're rejecting the one true and living God. The God who produced and formed the world and all things in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in handmade shrines, neither is he served by human hands as though he lacked anything. For it is he himself who gives life and breath and all things to all people. Now listen to this. And he made from one common origin, one source, one blood, all nations of men to settle on the face of the earth, having definitely determined their allotted periods of time and the fixed boundaries of their habitation, their settlements, lands and abodes, so that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him, although he is not far from each one of us. I love this. The Bible makes it very clear that at one time, and you know this as well as I do, there was a time when everyone was the same race. Everyone spoke the same language. That, that they were all unified. There was a time when there were no races. When there were not many languages, there was one people because we all came from Adam. Okay, so there was a time when it was just all one. There was no variety. There was no diversity. We were all one. That was the way God intended it to be. But something happened that made God get involved and divide. He divided the people and it was then that race became... um, or came into being, that many languages came into being, people settled in different areas of the world, that there was a distinct moment when that happened. Now, why did God divide the people? Why did he give them their own language? Why did he give them their own color of skin? Why did he give them their own habitation and and set the boundaries for that? Why did he do that? It answers it right there, and I need you to see it. He did it for the express purpose that men would seek him and that they would feel for him and that they would, that they would find him. Though he is not far from any of us because in him we live and move and have our being. So the reason that God divided the people and gave nations and races and tongues and tribes was so that man would seek after the Lord, feel for him, and find him and come to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, that should bring up a great question. And that is, why did God have to do that? Why is it that God had to divide the people and make nations, tribes, and tongues? Why did he have to do that? I mean, couldn't we have all sought God and felt for God and found God as one common people with no race, with no distinction, with no diversity? I mean, couldn't we have found God that way? Well, evidently not because God divided us. So what happened? Why did God have to divide us up? Well, your Bible tells you why. And it's found in Genesis chapter 11. You don't have to go there if you don't want to, but you can if you'd like. It's in Genesis chapter 11, and we begin at verse number 1. Listen to this. This is after the flood. All of you know this. This was after the flood. It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Now, understand when it says the whole earth, it's not talking about the whole globe. At this time, civilization was really contained in Mesopotamia. That's that rim right in there. That's where everyone was living at that time. 
I don't know what the population of the earth was at this time, probably in the millions, but it wouldn't have been a, a huge number, but millions of men and women living in that Mesopotamian rim, that's where everyone was, and the whole earth was one language and one speech. Everyone said the same thing. And again, now these are descendants of Noah. So everyone is the same color, the same race, the same language. They're just one people, okay? I don't know if you have studied this at all, but what's interesting is that recently linguistics have proven that all of the languages, and there are around 6,000 languages in the world, All of the languages came from one language. The Bible already told us that. That all the languages of the world came from one language. Now, evolutionists will use that to to try and prove evolution, but the Bible says that this is the way it was. There was a time on this earth where everyone was the same race, the same color, the same speech, the same language. We were all just one. Now listen. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Wow. I think that's amazing. They said, we are going to unify the people together without God. This is what they were basically saying. They were saying, listen, let's build our city. Let's build a tower to celebrate our success. And let us make a name for ourselves. The significance of that is, if you have a name for yourself, then you don't need the name of the Lord. And that is what this was all about. They were saying, we don't need God. We don't need his rules. We don't need his intervention. We do not need to play by any of his rules at all. We're going to build our own city. We're going to solve all of our problems. We're going to be one people. We're not going to be scattered. We're going to be unified. And we are even going to build a tower all the way up into the heavens because we are saying, we don't need God. We're God. We can do it on our own. We can be a unified people. We can solve all of our problems. And we do not need God's intervention at all. And I'm going to tell you folks, if you don't think that that's what's happening in the United States of America and down in Washington, D.C., you've got your head in the sand today. Politicians, Democrats, Republicans, Tea Parties, liberals, conservatives, they all are in their rooms and in their offices and they're saying, we can build America without God's intervention. We can decide. We can play by our own rules. We don't need God's intervention. We don't need to be a nation under God. Yeah, we'll let somebody get up and pray in the Congress every morning and start us out in prayer, but it's only only the way we want prayer and it's never going to be in Jesus' name because we will not be submitted to Almighty God. That's what's happening right now. We can solve all of these issues ourselves. We don't need God to tell us what's really going on. But they didn't expect the next thing. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. I like that word, withheld, because basically what God is saying is, listen, I give everyone free will, and they are free to use their will to do whatever they want, and if I do not stop this, they're going to corrupt themselves. It really goes back to what Pastor Joe preached about last week. Remember the pre-flood condition of the world? It says that the hearts and the minds of men were on evil continually. They were heading in the same direction again. He said, if I don't stop, they're going to be right back in. And I've already said I'll not destroy the world with a flood. So I've got to do something to interrupt them so that they will not continue to harden themselves against me. So what did he do? Come, let us 
You may notice that us is capitalized. That's because God is speaking to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. And therefore the name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. That is how nations began, folks. And I know that it doesn't set well with those who are atheists and those who do not trust the faith, but this is what your Bible tells us. They were all unified at one moment, but God divided them. You know what I find very interesting here, and I want you to consider this, that as they attempted to bring unity without God, all they brought was division. And I'm going to tell you, that's, what, that's why I'm saying I, we cannot rest the hope of ending racism in this country in the hands of politicians because they're going to try to come up with legislation that has nothing to do with God and all it's going to do is cause greater division. And we've seen that. Even in our time, we have seen the, 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 the government try to do something to unify us and all of their attempts just cause even more tension between the races. But I want you to see this, folks, please. Is that God's judgment of the people in dividing them up was actually merciful. Had God left them alone, they would have had nothing to do with the Lord but in dividing them, Paul said it in Acts 17, by dividing them, they will seek the Lord. They will feel for him and they will find him. Can you imagine the hopelessness that must have filled that Mesopotamian rib at that time? Everybody speaks one language, one language. And then everybody wakes up one morning and some people, and we don't know what languages, but just you know, work with me here today, okay? But all of a sudden, there's this group over here speaking in French. And then there's other people speaking Spanish, and there's other people speaking Italian, and there's other people speaking Chinese. And and you're just wandering around trying to find your people so that you can communicate. And then you get into your groups, and you begin to migrate. And as they begin to migrate, they settle down, and that's when the body just naturally began to evolve. And that's when uh, races were formed and things of that nature. That's how the nations began. And God divided them mercifully. Because alone, if they were unified, they would have gone as far away from God as you could imagine. But separated, they had to seek the Lord's help. They had to feel for Him. And they found Him in Jesus Christ. And what is beautiful is that now only in Jesus Christ is there racial reconciliation. How do I know that? Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 3 and verse 11. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ in all, is all, and in all. In Jesus' name. So... There it is. Only in Christ is there racial reconciliation. And to try and leave Jesus out of this equation is an exercise in futility. And one of my, one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture is what we find in Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 9. And they sang a new song saying... You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Listen, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And I love that. We were redeemed or we've been rescued from our division, from our different nations and we've become one people unto Almighty God. Folks, it is in Christ that there is the healing of race because in Christ there is no race. We are the one, the children of the living God, the body of Jesus Christ, that is where it all must begin, in Jesus' mighty name. So my prayer for this church is that we would come together in unity. You know, racism can exist on both sides, 
Because we all listen. You know, the other day, as I was heading out to the cemetery on Friday, I had a funeral on Friday, so I'm listening to, to still what's going on. And I shut it off. And Kathy said, why'd you shut it off? And I said, because this is not helping me. This is a conservative station, and, and I am I'm conservative. I'm not going to deny that. But there's a difference between conservative conservatism and then fueling fire. I don't need to listen to that. And some on the other side, you got we just gotta stop listening to all of the other voices and listen to the voice of God. Because as far as God is concerned, I am not Caucasian. And my brother, you are not black. We are brothers in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we listen. We listen to voices that are trying to divide us rather than unify us. We need to repent of any racism that any of us have in our lives. And remember that in Christ we are one. In Jesus' mighty name. Let the healing begin here. In Jesus' name. Can we let the healing begin right here? Bless the Lord. Would you stand to your feet here this morning? Well, if you'd come. I want to do something. I don't think it's really that radical. (laughs) But that's just me, okay? I'd like as many of you that can today to come down to this altar. Just come down right now before anything else. I'm not, you're saying, what am I getting myself into? You'll figure out when you get here, okay? Just, just come down as much as you can. I want us to pray for our country today. I want us to pray for the hurting, but I don't want you to pray alone, and I don't want you to pray with somebody you're comfortable with. Or, Well, I, that's not a right way to say it, because it should be somebody you're comfortable with as long as as they are a different color than you. I don't want to see, unless you can't, I don't want to see one white person playing with a white person. (laughs) I don't want to see one black person praying with a black person. I don't want to see the Spanish praying with the Spanish. I want you to find someone of another, if you can. I mean, obviously, look, I... But can you find somebody? Please, if you've got to walk over somebody, do it. But find somebody that's different. But remember that we're one. Come on, folks. And we, can we pray for one another? And don't pray silently. This is the hour for us not to be silent anymore.